0: We are getting ready to enter into a journey uh, in the book of Ruth. So if you will go to the Old Testament, I think it's about the eighth book in, so you go all the way to the left, hang a right for a while, and you will find the book of Ruth. The series is entitled, Ordinary Life, Extraordinary God. And we'll flesh that out as we go through the scripture, uh, verse by verse. I'm excited to be in this series. Uh, how many of you already read the book of Ruth? Anybody read Ruth before? Okay. Well, we still have a few of you that are ruthless out there. I see you. All right. Was that bad? I actually, what? We, we got, uh, okay, good. We, I actually read that in a, in a book and stole it, so I, sh- I shouldn't have stole that, I guess. So you ready for the next one? (laughs) Over the next eight sermons, uh, I'm going to give you the Ruth, the whole Ruth, and nothing but the Ruth, so help me God. Yeah, where are the punsters in here? Okay. All right, enough of that. Well, let's jump in and just do a little, just a little background. I didn't give you a big sheet of paper like I do sometimes, but I think we can figure this out pretty quick. Ruth is one of only two books in the Bible named after a woman. Can you remember the other book that is named after a woman? Esther. Esther, Very good. You've been paying attention in your class. Good. Um, What I want you to note, though, is just real quickly, I want you to think about this, their lives and their stories were very different. You know, we all have our our story, and theirs was very different. If, If you will remember or you will learn, Ruth is a Gentile woman who gets married to a Jew. Esther was a Jew married to a Gentile. Interesting, isn't it? Ruth lived in a foreign land because she chose to. Esther lived in a foreign land because she was forced to. Ruth begins with famine. And ends with the birth. I can't wait to get to that at the end of the book. And Esther, of course, begins with the feast and ends with death. Death of that evil guy, okay? But both Ruth and Esther, I I say all that and contrast that to give you this, both Ruth and Esther teach us that it doesn't matter who you are. I want you to think about this for a minute. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter how powerless you feel. It doesn't matter the circumstances of your life. It doesn't even matter how far you might have fallen. The God of heaven, the God of the Bible, our God, has not forgotten you. Just like he had not forgotten Ruth. He was always... He is always at work in our ordinary lives. He is our extraordinary God. So the big idea this morning is simple, and it's this. Our extraordinary God works even in our losses. Anybody in here ever experienced any loss in your life? That should be (laughs) just about everyone, right? And God is at work even in the losses. Let's look at the first five verses of Ruth chapter 1. I am going to have to put these on. During the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. Remember that phrase? A man left Bethlehem in Judah with his wife and two sons to live in the land of Moab for a while. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. Now I want to apologize right now to you as we go through this book series. I have a, my, our newest grandchild is a granddaughter. And her name is Noemi. And now I have to say Naomi. All right. So if you hear me say Noemi, just pray for my granddaughter. Okay. Because I love her. All right. Let's try that. And his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They entered the land of Moab and settled there. Naomi's husband Elimelech died and she was left with her two sons. Her sons took Moabite women as their wives. One was named Oprah. No, it's not Oprah. Just seeing if you're listening. One was named Orpah. See that? One was named Orpah and the second was named Ruth. After they lived in Moab about ten years, both Malon and Chilion also died. And Naomi was left. Look at that. Without her two children. And without her husband. It's been said that the book of Ruth could have been entitled the book of Naomi if you look at the many, many verses that are involved with Naomi. Or it could have been Uh, titled the book of Boaz even, if you look at the dialogue and the action that goes on. But nevertheless, it's the book of Ruth. And I think it is for a reason, for God to teach us something. Let's pray. God, we do ask that you would teach us. God, I I just pray for everyone that's here today. I pray for those who are are watching right now online. I pray for those who later this week or any time will look at... uh, the recording of this service, I pray that we would realize that you, God, care about us and that you're working, and sometimes it's behind the scenes and we may not see it, but you are at work. And God, no no matter how ordinary we think we might be or the circumstances that we might be in, you are there, even in the losses. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Amen. So let's look at that first little phrase of verse 1 again. It says, during the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. So we want to do a little background. So I'm going to have one point, which is background, and then I'm going to have another bigger point, which is God and our losses. And we're going to look at some of the losses that we see in these first few verses. But the authorship, we'll start with author, the authorship of Ruth is not identified for us. Uh, There's a number of people that believe Samuel was the author. Others suggest Hezekiah, Ezra, even some suggest David as author. Here's what I want you to get from your pastor this morning. Regardless of the author, it is scripture. It is God breathed, just like every other book in the Bible. And the book of Ruth should be understood as a true historical account. Are you with me on that? It's not a parable, it's not just an allegory or a made up story. Are you okay with that? It's really important if you go to Matthew chapter one and look at the lineage of Jesus Christ. It's a true historical account. And let's talk about the date now. Some people get confused by when the story occurred and then when it was God had it written down, okay? Two different things, so don't get hung up on that. Because we see according to the first phrase, the story took place during the time of the judges, okay? Now, this is a little fuzzy. We we think the period of the judges was about a 400-year period. It's after Israel entered the promised land under Joshua, and it's before there were any kings of Israel. So uh, give or take about 1450 B.C. to 1050 B.C. Don't write me letters on that because some people would back that up a few years. Some people would move that for a few years. And here's what I got you to tell you about all those people. None of them were there. Okay? So it's okay if we say about from here to here. Okay? The book of Judges, though, comes just before Ruth in our Bible. And so I think it's important to look at the very last verse of what sort of period it was. It's something we need to know is, is what this, this, this story comes out of a certain uh, time in the world, a time in the Israelites' lives. And so we look at the last verse of Judges. That's 21, 25. It should be right there on the page there. And it said, in those days, there was no king in Israel, Every man did what was right in his own eyes." How about that? Look at that second phrase for a minute. Could that not include lots of segments of history? Could that not include Albuquerque, New Mexico in the year 2021? Every man and woman, maybe even boy and girl? are doing what they think is right in their own eyes we just finished the study of the book of jude and and we proclaim that god's truth matters and we're to contend for it and yet we run into people all the time that would say it's my truth it's right there is no basis here there don't give me a standard whatever and so we can put ourselves back in the times of the judges and see we can relate to that, can't we? Everybody's doing whatever they want, and they think it's right in their own mind, in their own eyes. And this is where this beautiful story of love and redemption of God working extraordinarily comes into play. So I just want you to catch that. It was a very dark time in Israel. And if you haven't studied Judges, there was a cycle. The cycle was this. The people would go ahead and sin and sin and sin and God would send judgment right in the form of enemies and they would really mess with the Israelites (laughs) and they would get almost obliterated all these things would happen and then the third part of the cycle the people would cry out to God help us we'll return to you save us all these things and then the Lord comes in and he is merciful and he rescues them by raising up a judge to deliver them, that's the. If you look at the book of Judges, that's the cycle that goes over and over and over again. So that's just a little bit about uh, uh, the the date when the story happened, and uh, we can move on a little bit more now to the theme. I want you to see that again and again during this time the people rebelled. And it might have appeared on the outside that God's purposes, God's purposes for righteousness, for his glory in Israel, they were failing. And then we have the book of Ruth. And it gives us a glimpse of what I call the hidden work of God. Have you looked back on your pilgrimage with the Lord and seen the hidden work of God. I love the study experiencing God as we look back and we see these markers, these pillars, and we thought, wow, this was ha- why did this happen and that? And when we look back, we get the perspective and see how God was at work, the hidden work of God, even during the worst of times. I want you to catch the contrast. We'll see in this book that God's at work in losses. God's at work in choices. We'll see God's providence. We'll see God's faithfulness. We'll see God's provision. We will see God at work in relationships. We'll see God at work in redemption. And I love the end of the book. We'll see God at work making good out of bad. Sign me up, amen? I want to be be part of that. So uh, just up front, God is our extraordinary He's extraordinary. He's our God, and he's working in all the ordinary aspects of life. No matter who you are today, God is working behind the scenes. You may not know it. You may know it, but God is doing that. You see, our God is a God full of forgiveness. Amen? He is completely trustworthy. He is faithful even when we are faithless. And the book of Ruth shows us that God is a God who's always at work. Now, let's just think about ourselves for a minute, all right? Look at the person next to you with your, with your good eye. Just look at them. Kind of squint like you're going to check them out and wonder what's going on. Here's what happens with us humans. Sometimes we overly emphasize the importance of ourselves. Have you ever noticed that? Have you noticed that? That's the pr- Man, I, I never want to hang around with that person. It's always I did this. I did that. Look at me. All this. We get this blown up version sometimes of, of who we might be. We get puffed up. Well, there was a Ph.D. candidate at the University of Southern California, and he was so eager, eager to get that title doctor until something happened. He had a friend who was a newly degreed professor, and his friend shared his story, and he said, a friend had called my home, and he'd asked, is the doctor in? But the professor's 10-year-old son had answered the phone, and he replied this, is the doctor in? Yes, but he's not the kind that can help you do anything he's, or, <laughs> or do any good. Sorry for those of you who are not MD this morning, all right? We need to put that aside, though, as we look. We need to put aside the quote-unquote extraordinary items of our life and just get over ourselves and let's look at the ordinary aspects of life that all of us go through, that all of us experience. And let us see as we go through this book God extraordinarily working in the ordinary. So then, uh, we're going to now look at the second part of verse 1 through 5, and this is what we'll look at today, and look at how God is at work in losses. And let me say right up front, you may need to write this down. You may need to share this with a, a friend of yours, perhaps a Christian brother or sister that watches a certain show or reads a certain book or listens to a certain podcast. But I want to say this up front. I believe this with all my heart. There is no exemption clause... When it comes to suffering for the Christian, there's no exemption clause. We don't share that just get saved, just be born again and everything will be perfect, right? We can't do that. If we do that, we discard the words of Jesus Christ when he was on earth, right? You go look it up. And so I just want to let you know, loss is a part of life for every human, even the converted, the regenerated Christian disciple of Christ. Now, where the help comes in is how we deal with that and how we work through that. But let's just acknowledge, all right? Let's not have the testimony that, hey, I got saved 40 years ago and everything has just been perfect ever since, okay? That doesn't help anyone. That doesn't help anyone at all. So our story here begins as we look at scripture in Bethlehem of Judah. There's other Bethlehems, but it begins in this one. You might think about something else that happened in Bethlehem many, many years later, right? Isn't it interesting how the Bible is woven together? and you can put it against itself and give commentary, and even the places and things, they just go right together. So it's ironic, though, that as you'll look at that first phrase, the first sentence in Ruth, that Bethlehem means house or granary of bread. Now, isn't that interesting? Because what does the scripture say? During uh, the time of the judges, there was a what? A famine in the land. And all of a sudden, then we see we're talking about a man who left Bethlehem, this house granary of bread. So there's famine in the land, and there's a, there was a man who's later on named Elimelech. There's another part of irony right there. Do you know what Elimelech means? It means my God is king. How, that's just irony for me. Think about it. This is a guy who makes a decision to do what he wants to do. It's in the days of the judges. Remember, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And he does what he wants to do. And his name is, my God is king, and yet he's taken it upon himself And what does he do? He takes his family from the promised land, and he takes them 50 miles, maybe around the Dead Sea or maybe across the Dead Sea. He heads to the southeast, and he ends up in a place called Moab. What a choice. I don't know about you, but if I was in the promised land, I would want to stay in the promised land. Why? Because God promised it. And he promised provision if certain things happened in people's life. But he went to the country of Moab instead of calling on God. The the book doesn't start out this way and say this godly man just called on God for mercy during the famine. That he repented of his sin. That he repented of the sin of his nation. It doesn't say anything about that. It says he went and took his family and did this. I uh, think he designed his own solution. And we're quite good at that, aren't we? We are quite good at that. Now look at his family as we continue on down these first few verses. He has a wife and his, uh, her name, wow, don't say that these days. Her name is Naomi, which means to be pleasant. That's important to remember because later on there's going to be a change. And he had two sons, Malon and Chilion. Now sometimes the scripture uh, describes names that are called ominous names. Have you ever heard that In, in, in the study of Scripture, names mean things? These two sons had what we call ominous names. Malon meant to be sick. Chilion meant frailty, or some scholars would say mortality. Now you think about what is to come with these two sons and how their names are almost prophetic and how they fit. And the family, you see, is eth- ethnically epaph- epaphtites, that's a hard word to say, meaning from the region around Bethlehem. That's all you have to get. It's just right. that region right around, around Bethlehem is where they're from. So let's jump in now to the loss. Loss number one is this. Naomi lost her home. I've mentioned a little bit about that, but I want you to think about that for a minute. The choice to move to Moab meant that Naomi, her husband, and their two sons were parting from the inheritance the Lord had given their ancestors to make a home under a land of curse. So here you have promised land, the inheritance, and uh, she loses her home, and they move to not just another place, but a place that is under curse. It's a great loss for her. She loses her home. Now, I want to tell you something. If you haven't studied, or maybe you have, I want you to remember Moab. The Israelites, Israel had great contempt for Moab. Are you with me? It's not really a prejudice. There's a number of things. I'm going to list them. You may want to jot down some verses. In Genesis 19, Moab begins with incestuous relationships. Look it up. Genesis 19. In Numbers 22-24, through 24, Moab resisted the passage of the Israelites when, when they came out of Egypt. And they were wandering. Moab resisted them being apart or coming through. In uh, Numbers 25, Moabite women seduced the Israelite men, leading to the worship of Baal. They actually began to worship Baal. And punishment came. Do you remember that punishment? 24,000 people were killed. Deuteronomy 23, Moab was cursed and could not, the, the quote there is, could not enter into the Lord's assembly. Couldn't be done. And then of course, in Judges, if you go back towards the beginning of Judges, Judges chapter three, we find Eglon, who's the king of Moab. And as, early, as recently as Judges three, he had oppressed the Israelites. So I'm gonna tell you something, they had contempt, and rightly so, Moab is a land under curse what a loss for Naomi the loss of home I don't know about you but would that be significant I don't know if any of you have ever lost a home whether it was a fire a flood a financial thing I don't know a legal thing whatever that would be tough but picture losing a homeland like that and going to a place like that what a loss and yet God was working Well, Ammar, how is God working? You gotta stay with the rest of the story. But God, the hidden work of God, is working. Let's move on to verse three in the first part of verse four and see the second loss, loss number two, is this. Naomi not only lost her home, Naomi lost her spouse. Soon after arriving in Moab, scripture tells us that Elimelech died. And he left Naomi, a widow, and, He left her sons fatherless. Now that word left is just a little word in scripture, but it literally means to be left over. It's a pretty strong word when we look at there. And so I want you to put your shoes, put yourself in the shoes of Naomi today. And the culture is different, so you have to really think what's going on there, but she experienced the challenge of being a single parent. She's left alone. How how would you like this? You're left alone to raise two two teenage boys. Anybody want to sign up for that? Some of you may be able to relate to that. So just on the surface, uh, there's a problem with her spouse passing away. And then, not only that, she got to watch these two boys become men, and they make painful decisions. Now, come on, church. Can we relate to that? Sometimes our children, as they grow up, what happens? They make some painful decisions, don't they? That's why it's imperative. Listen, if you still got little darlings at the home, th- their faith has to become their own faith. This rigid, i got to be careful here, This rigid doctrine, this rigid uh, catechism, not a book necessarily, but what some religious parents do to their children, they never allow their children to breathe, and their children's faith remains the faith of the parent. Is that saving faith? No. At some point, God has to come and save that child or that teenager, and it's our job to raise them up for them to love the Lord, for them to see what it's like, and for that to happen. doesn't always happen. So she watches these guys make painful decisions. They married non-Israelite women. Now, don't get going on who you should marry and not. There are so many false teachings on that. But what was clear was the command of God at this time and in this way. They were not to marry non-Israelite women. In this case, Orpah and Ruth. It was a violation of the spirit of the law. Why? Because it would lead to, and don't we see this in scripture over and over again? It's not so much the ethnicity, is it? It's where it leads, to idolatry. Do you remember the smartest guy in the Bible? Solomon? And what he did with foreign It wasn't so much who it was, it's that it led to idolatry. And so this had happened, and we see the children of Israel over and over and over doing things that lead to that, right? Remember, Moab began in incest. It was the result of Lot's two daughters getting him drunk and having relations with him. What's more, at this time, the people of Moab were worshiping the pagan god, Chamas, to whom human sacrifices were offered. This is a big deal. So we see loss number two. She loses her spouse and all kinds of things begin to happen. What great losses. And yet, God was working. Loss number three. We see in the last part of verse four and verse five. Ultimately, she lost not only her home, not only her spouse, but she lost her Children. Just tell you a quick story. The Olberts are my heroes, Travis and Michelle. They had a beautiful little girl and were excited to have this baby boy being born. And sure enough, the little baby boy was born dead. The loss of a child. I can't imagine that. Some of you have experienced the loss of a child. A few years later they were so excited because they were going to have another baby boy. And they took all the protocols, boy, she was monitored like crazy and something happened the night before they were going to take that boy. And she delivered him the next day dead. I'll never forget being in that hospital holding that little baby boy. He looked perfect, like he was just sleeping, perfect. And yet they had lost not one, but two boys at childbirth. I tell you that to say this. Why are they my heroes? Somehow, way, they had to work through it for many years. They didn't allow it to make them bitter to God or to turn from God, but instead turn to God. So I want you to think about that. No matter how great the loss is, we are to turn to God because he is working behind the scenes. And don't think that the Olberts haven't had a chance to testify year after year about their God. Do you think people listened to that story? Boy, they did. And they do. So here we have Naomi. She loses her children. So she's not only widowed, she's not only brokenhearted, but she's now a broken hearted mother because her sons are dead. Here's the important part of the culture, then. Naomi was now left with no male remnant. She had neither husband nor sons. I want you to think about that. That's a big deal, and we'll look at that as we get into the book of Ruth more. But there's no remnant. There's no lineage. It makes a difference here. In addition, her sons had married two pagan daughters-in-law. And if you'll catch in Scripture... And we'll, we'll, we'll get to that and look at that a little bit more, but they had not produced offspring in 10 years. This story is about 11 or 12 years long. And so there's no offspring. Now, some of y'all are out there waiting for grandkids, I know, right? It's a big deal to you, okay? My kids were so happy when our first grandchild came because I was on them all the time. Where are the grandchildren? The reason we didn't kill you four teenage boys is because the hope of grandchildren were out there. You've never done that, right? I did it from the pulpit. I had to get straightened back out and finally be told, quit doing that, all right? But look here. I think it's an apparent evidence of the curses from Deuteronomy 28. You can decide. But I think there's a reason that they didn't have children. I think they were barren. It's a great loss. If you think about all these things that are going on, it's an amazing loss. This hopeless picture. No homeland. I'm over here. Uh, My husband has died. My boys have died. There's no remnant left. There's nothing left for me. And I got these two girls who weren't raised to love and know Yahweh, but other idols and such. And they couldn't even have children, so I couldn't even get a male that way to continue the lineage. Yet God was working. I want you to think about this as we close today. What were they doing in Moab? Why did they leave the promised land? where God would provide for them. He said, I will provide for you if you would seek me and obey me. I would tell you this, church, we can learn from this today. It is always unwise to choose a course that takes us outside the will of God. It's never right to disobey God's will. Even during suffering, even during loss, it's never okay to get outside of the will of God. Why? Because He is working. His hidden work sometimes, it's at work. And God has revealed His will. People ask me, what's God's will? It's right here in His Word. Read it. His will is there. No matter how viable an option may seem to us, if that option violates God's word, it is not an option. We've all been there. We've all been there. Yet our God is gracious, isn't he? He is merciful. He is the epitome of faithfulness. And he is at work in an extraordinary way. I want you to think about that today. I want to plead with you to look for him at work. I want to plead with you today to trust God. I want to plead with you today to lean into God because he is extraordinary God working in our ordinary lives. I want to ask you this as we close. What has God been doing in your life? Have you taken time to see what God has been doing in your life? If you haven't, do it. It's not an accident. It's not a coincidence. It's not chance. God is working in lives, in lost lives, in redeemed lives. God is working, and we need to join him in his work. And realize today, no matter what loss you might have faced, or you might be facing, there may be something coming up in the future. No matter what, we must turn to God because He's at work, even in the losses. And no doubt if we had time, we could parade many people right in this room that could come up, and they could share a loss, and they could share how God worked through it. Some of you know a little bit about my childhood and how messed up it was. God has used that over and over in my ministry life, especially, to share with others and to relate to what they're going through. Don't discount it. Even if there's a big scar from the loss, God is at work, not just in your life but in lives of others as you testify of what the Lord God Almighty has done for you. Let's pray. God, break us out of the norm. Remove this idea from our mind that it's just, if something happens it's by chance or coincidence or it's just an accident. God, remind us today that you are our extraordinary God and you are at work even even in the ordinary, even in the mundane things of life, even in the losses of life, whether small or great, you are at work. And God, I pray that you would prick our hearts today. God, I want to thank you that you saved me out of the greatest loss in my life. And it was the fact that I was a sinner. I was separated from you. I was headed straight to eternity to be without you, to be in a place your Bible calls hell. What a great loss that would be and God you came down and you rescued me and you saved me and I pray today that God you've been working in lives I pray the light bulb would go on today and people who are lost would be found today. People who who watch this online or the recording would see that they're lost and now they're found because you've been working in their life and you want to rescue them. So I pray God that today for folks in that situation that repentance would come. Repentance of sin and just turning life to you and acknowledging that you are the one Jesus who saves. That you are the one who can be Lord of life, boss, controller, master. We pray for that today. And God, I thank you that there's a number of people here today that are like me. We've experienced your rescue and we are walking with you and you're the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God, help us to understand that more. Help us to submit more to you. Even in losses, even in difficult times, that we turn to you because you are the God who saved us. Would you help us, Lord? We pray that this time of response would not be wasted minutes. But that you would speak into our lives. God, God, would you just say, I've been praying. Would you just whisper into people's ears and say, I'm working? Look and see. God, I pray for healing this morning. Some folks have had great loss many years ago, and they've never received healing. God, would you bring it into their life today as they see and as we go through this book of Ruth and see how you work? So thank you, God, for this time. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand, please? We're going to take a few minutes. Uh, You don't have to stand, but if you want to, please stand. And just spend some time with the Lord in prayer, if you would do that. Music's going to be playing. We've got folks up here that will come and uh, that will pray with you. I'd love to pray with you, whatever it might be. But just allow the Lord to penetrate your heart right now to evaluate what's going on with you, even with your losses. And if you need to be rescued this morning, God is able and ready. Let's just give these couple minutes to the Lord. If you need prayer, come, do business with God where you are. Praise God. just listen for that still, small voice. That's how God came to Elijah. It wasn't earthquakes and fires and winds. It was the still, small voice. Listen to God say, Child. God would show you how he's at work. Maybe you have a spouse. Maybe you have a child, or children, or a relative. Maybe you have a parent. Would you pray for them right now? Would you pray for them to see God at work? If they need to be rescued, would you pray for them right now? I know you have many times, but would you just pray again? And church, would you pray for the person to your right, The person to your left. Even if you don't know them, would you just pray that you would reveal yourself to them? Church, would you now pray for your neighborhood? Unless you live on a ranch in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) Just pray for New Mexico. But pray for your neighbor, your neighborhood. Pray that we would not sell God short, that we would start to see our neighbors as people that God is at work in their lives, no matter how lost they might be. Would you just pray for one or two of them right now? We thank you today that you are extraordinary. You are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You are the creator of the universe. You are God who so loved us that you sent your one and only son, Jesus, to die for our sin, to take our place, to offer to us salvation. God, I thank you that you are the God who saves God who rescues, God help us to see in our lives you at work, help us to trust you, help us to lean in on you, in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Thank you so much, you may be seated.